0: Welcome to Federal Insights for July, Network Transformation and Modernization, sponsored by Hughes Networks. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Tony Bardo, the Assistant Vice President of Government Solutions at Hughes Networks. Tony, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. And if you would, review for us this whole idea of modernization, especially network modernization, transformation that's going on in the federal government, especially now that there's a lot of money and a lot of emphasis now toward modernization. I think a lot of a lot of agencies are going to be looking at their networks as one of the foundational pieces to modernize and transform. So tell us what it means nowadays, especially using that EIS contract.
1: Tom, it's a great time to be talking about transformation and modernization uh, and evolution. The um, the EIS contract is uh, is now in in full swing, the transition to it is still getting there in the full swing mode, but um, for the last 20 years, um, the the the, the uh, FTS 2001 contract and then the networks contract were characterized by technology that served its purpose at the time, um, but is is no longer adequate to really fulfill the, the needs of, of bandwidth hungry applications that all the, all of the agencies have. So it's a great time. The the, the timing was a little off just a little bit. And that was really nobody's fault. They had to proceed with the, what was called the NS 2020 uh, initiative, which included a, a, the EIS contract. And um, there was still the old technology left in the can, if you will, or, or in, 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 service and the new technologies hadn't really come into play like SD-WAN and modern uh, broadband managed networks. So the, the contract started off with a like, a heavy like-for-like like emphasis and a heavy like-for-like like, um, quotient that, that uh, really wasn't enabling transformation just yet. So some of the early fair opportunities came out from a lot of the big agencies. And um, there were nine vendors on the EIS contract and all ready to go, but some of them were, uh, some of these vendors were still heavily invested in the NPLs uh, technologies that, uh, that were evident at the time. So you had this conundrum of, of you know, how do we release, how do we get out, out and get these fair opportunities out the door so we can begin the transition process to the new contract when we don't have any um, any cleanse for the new technologies. So GSA stepped up to that um, and sort of closed that timing and and enabled the, the new technology. So it's a, it's a wonderful time to do that. I think what we have are some awards that were made early on. And, you know, the early adopters sort of had, had to, you know, make up that ground and be caught with a contract with a selected awardee that maybe might not have been the best awardee for what's to come. So um, I think in general, everybody can, can recover from that. I think it's going to put the timetables that GSA has in place, maybe in jeopardy, um, but we're on our way.
0: And when you say like for like, in other words, agencies were simply replacing with a new deal, the same technology that they had been operating for many years prior.
1: I mean I mean that exactly and, and therefore it was it was inconvenient in that and and unproductive in a sense because not many places in IT, the federal IT, was somebody using 20-year-old technology. And yet that's what the agencies were doing with their telecom networks. Uh, everywhere else transformation was progressing at a healthy rate, maybe not as fast as some would like, but certainly the network I thought was lagging behind. Like I said, it was really nobody's fault. Um, It's just that the contract timing uh, and the advent of the new technologies weren't quite in sync.
0: And with the emphasis on digital services and on increased user experience, for both internal users and external visitors to federal agencies seeking some type of help or service or benefit, do these underlying technologies that you mentioned, say software defined WANs in particular, as opposed to MPLS and earlier technologies, do they enable that to be deployed better for the customer experience digital services piece?
1: They're absolutely perfect for the digital experience, for customers, for constituents to do. Things with the government interact with the government uh, online uh, are, are certainly much more uh, enabled because of the, the various access methods that SD WAN enables the agency to empl- to deploy um, methods that would enable people to work with applications uh, far better than than the legacy networks that were in place before. Now the the, the, the user experience in terms of using modern broadband and, and the cable technologies and the satellite technologies that people have at their homes, uh, they've been using broadband for a long time. It's just that the, the government networks that were supporting them were not using those those more adaptive technologies.
0: And how do these new technologies help, say, in the hybrid cloud situation? Because more and more agencies are both modernizing their own data centers replicating their data centers in other companies' closed cage co-location centers and using commercial clouds, really three pieces of the hybrid architecture. And does this whole SD-WAN thing help enable that and move that along?
1: Absolutely. It, it, it helps the agencies uh, work better together. It helps uh, the SD-WAN technologies puts the proper uh, transport or the proper traffic on the proper transports, and it enables voice, for instance, to be completely interactive and 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 fast uh, fast acting, and so forth, and and certain certain slower applications that don't need the speed, don't need to c- can be sent later on through more latency heavy heavy uh, uh, technology. Uh, it, it 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 all boils down to a a an employee of the government being able to work the right um, network scheme into the conversation or the interaction with the constituent.
0: Yeah, that's one of the uh, key things that you mentioned is the uh, the uh, allocation of speed and resources depending on the application itself and some applications as you point out can't stand any latency. Some of them, you know, a few milliseconds doesn't matter, nobody will notice. Exactly right. Applications. And so with an SD-WAN type of architecture or technology underlying this, can the applications themselves tell the network what to give priority for? That is the quality of service can be determined automatically so that you have less operator intervention hour by hour in operating your networks?
1: Absolutely. And that, that's why this this timing now is, is finally um, congealing at the right time and the technology options and the different ways that Uh, companies have put together their SD-WAN product. Um, Not only the legacy uh, SD-WAN products of the the traditional carriers, but also the new entrance to the marketplace in EIS and the many choices that they have to present an SD-WAN solution to an agency. Uh, It's it's to the point now where there's so many improvements uh, that have happened in the last two to three years where the prime's have have choices to bring to to bear to the uh, to the uh, uh, r- proposals that they're pr- they're they're responding to on the uh, fair opportunities.
0: And let's sort out just for a minute the transport versus the SD WAN because SD WAN stands for software defined wide area networking, so that by definition it's a piece of software, but ultimately electrons travel on wires to get from point A to point B, even over when the wireless segment ends. So what's the relationship technologically between SD-WAN and the transport you're using and do they go hand in hand when it comes to that need to update them? It
1: can be a combination of various kinds of transports. You've got path-diverse transports uh, such as terrestrial and satellite. You've got DSL, which continues to be viable uh, you've got g- great speeds being offered by the cable companies and partners. So there's that there's that combination of the dedicated facilities that that the uh, carriers have, and using them in combination with the broadband capabilities through both satellite, cable, DSL, and and wireless. So you've get, you've got tremendous flexibility in terms of using multiple transports, multiple kinds of transports. Uh, dedicated versus shared technologies. The shared technologies is really where you've seen the cost drivers uh, improve so much for the, it's it's not so much that any given agency is going to spend less than they used to spend last year under the last contract. They're just going to spend maybe probably the same money, but they're going to get so much more power, so much more bandwidth, so much more path diversity in the in case of, a congestion on one transport or another. There's just many ways in, many ways out. So I think there's there's um, a tremendous uh, productivity, um, um, affordability, and, and um, a, a ability to just build it up, build up the network.
0: And with this diversity of pathways, does that also contribute to greater re- reliability and continuity of operations for federal agencies?
1: Absolutely. There's... Uh, you know, we, we've we've been involved as a as a company that offers satellite services as well as the uh, traditional uh, uh, broadband uh, terrestrial networks. Certainly, we've seen a lot of it be through through hurricanes, through disasters, and so forth, flooding that compromises the terrestrial networks. And for those customers, we've ad- advocated and provided uh, for those customers that have taken advantage of it satellite services to back up. In a path diverse way, uh, the traffic that they they need to uh, to use.
0: All right, so agencies contemplating the switch, and I guess most of them are contemplating it. And there's been some orders, but to get EIS really into your the services and products on EAS into your agency, what do you have to do? I mean, what what what's the untaken step at this point?
1: Well, the untaken step is that there's still a lot, still too many fair opportunities that haven't come out the door yet that need to to, to, to make these deadlines that GSA has imposed and rightfully so. Um, my concern is, is that the early adopter agencies might have made those awards, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, on a like for like basis. And are they still going down the MPLS path? Have they put the brakes on and said, okay, let's let's have discussions with the awarded vendor or let's have discussions with the companies who are bidding still outstanding uh, fair opportunities and maybe put the brakes on and sort of recalculate the spec. Now, would that mean that things will slow down? Well, they might slow down a little bit. They might even pause temporarily. I think moving to the new technologies and stopping any kind of activity to continue to build old technology into the scheme is is not productive. So if that means we slow down, we do it right the first time, instead of implement the old technology, maybe with a new vendor, um, I, I think that may be worth the worth squeeze.
0: Yeah, so in other words, you could uh, have an overlap briefly while you get the new facility, the new SD-WAN and whatever transport you choose or transports you choose up and running. You don't have to have a hard date cut over when, oh my God, is this going to work when we pull the switch? But you right, have right. one fade down and the other brought up.
1: And another thing I think that, that could be a useful tactic would be to make those easy transitions to broadband technologies first. And that's out in the field. It doesn't require big pipes and, and the metro um, kind of uh, connections in, in cities and so forth get gets quick service faster service out to the field offices where the where the rubber hits the road for the constituents
0: all right good place to take a break on my guest today is tony bardo the assistant vice president of government solutions at hughes networks i'm tom temen this discussion is federal insights network transformation and modernization sponsored by hughes networks here on federal news network citizen focused government means digital service delivery to constituents the EIS contract replaces legacy networks with reliable, scalable, and secure broadband connections. And managed SD-WAN from Hughes allows agencies to utilize cloud-based applications with in-depth cybersecurity protections. Time is critical. Do not accept like for light. Like. Ask your prime contractors about the Hughes managed SD-WAN solution or visit government.hughes.com welcome back to federal insights sponsored by hughes networks here on federal news network our topic today is network transformation and modernization my guest today is tony bardo the assistant vice president of government solutions at hughes networks i'm your moderator tom temen and tony just recently literally if you know a few weeks ago when this airs, the White House and OMB released the return to work strategy for federal agencies and federal employees. And it was really a very wide open kind of document, leaving a lot of discretion to agencies on how and when and where they would reopen and bring people back. The implication is that they expect and the authorities expect, and I think the agencies expect, and maybe the employees themselves expect to be working remotely and from home, and there's a distinction there, for quite some time and in larger numbers than before the pandemic hit. So mass telework is kind of a feature now in perpetuity. What does that mean for network modernization? As people look at EIS, how do they need to consider that fact of many people working remotely on a regular basis?
1: Well, it's happening all over the place, uh, Tom, and it's uh it certainly happened during the pandemic and people were forced to work from home kids were forced to learn from home and go to school from home and so it contributed to to a large extent um the internet being upside down for a while um you were you were there were corporate networks that were not being used there were school networks that were not being used and everybody was home using the same bandwidth however that bandwidth sometimes was better than what the worker had at work. Um, the, you, you could have a, a, a field office worker that was working from his field office before the pandemic and operating on a T1 line. And that same worker went home, started teleworking and was operating on a 200 meg um, cable circuit and having more bandwidth, drinking from a fire hose to some extent. Just, to a large extent, and we talked about like for like, um, the early transitions on EIS might well be transitioning to T1 lines at field offices. Well, that would be a terrible mistake as we discussed earlier. And so you, you have people that now will be working in a hybrid environment, going to the office maybe two days a week, maybe not at all and fully teleworking. And again, these people will have, pretty good networks to work from, um, on the residential side, on the consumer side, if you will. However, are those networks, um, the right kind of networks for somebody to do federal work, government work where those lines need to be more secure, where the productivity of the employee at home is a factor. All of a sudden that person is their home it person. So if there's a problem, on the network, the problem with the laptop or whatever, they've got to call their uh, service provider and get help and get assistance. Usually you'd call your IT desk in the office and say, hey, I got a problem with the line. Um, you guys got to fix it. And the agencies have people that can do that. You, you turn that workforce loose and distribute it out to the field, literally the field, which could be the home, and that's a whole different dynamic. So what worked temporarily during the pandemic uh, without the perhaps security of the home network in the in, on the agency side and without the IT support, the hands-on IT support to get things done, all of a sudden you've rendered that, that uh, home worker in a different position and they got to fend for themselves more. So I think the era of managed networks extended to other locations. I mean, what is the office now, but another federal, federal location, a federal site that needs to be managed by the kind of managed services that are done to the agency location. So I think it brings to get to out in the open, a, a real um, issue of support and viability that, the idea of okay, let's you know, let's send everybody home. Let's let's understand the new dynamic, the new you know millennial workforce this is, that is more used to working in a hybrid environment. Okay, that's fine and it can be done, but it brings to to bear some other things that maybe hadn't been considered and need to be.
0: Yes, and one of those is cybersecurity and data security. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Say the transport between the home location and into the federal network, a lot of things can happen in both directions. So, how do some of these new EIS services that Hughes is offering and some of these new technologies enable better security, especially for that distant and teleworking workforce?
1: I think it's going to require um, a stronger and more elaborate partnership between the EIS uh, service provider. Um, the agencies need to choose somebody who's who's used to working uh, in an environment and that's that's not only comfortable working in the corporate environment but also the consumer environment because frankly those two worlds have merged now, uh, in a certain sense. And so, I, I think the 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 emphasis more on. Managed services making that user experience, and I'm not talking about the constituent now. I'm talking about the the government user experience, um, and making sure that they're productive, and then they're not crawling under desks, you know, looking for connections that, that need to be rewired or whatever. Um, and people that uh, a help desk that probably relies more on the private sector to to bolster. The, the the certain limited federal presence uh because I think you're gonna have a, a whole lot more problems as you get more locations. You know, all of a sudden your your location uh, inventory, if you will, of sites has doubled or tripled or even more. And so there's 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 that aspect that needs to be considered.
0: Yeah and the other issue that was raised in the return to work guidance is the idea not so much of working at home, that's part of it, but also in a telework type of center. This is an idea that was proposed about 20 years ago in the federal government, it never really took off, but the idea of multi-tenancy of different agencies, different types of employees, but in one location that is remote. And the other idea is you're at home, but your home agency is not in your geographical area, but maybe you you work in New Jersey and your headquarters you're working for is in Detroit or vice versa just making up those two ideas. So you've got a lot of combinations of where the work goes, where the work originates. And I think people are going to be looking to EIS to maybe help solve some of that topology to make that happen. The
1: patent and trademark office was one of the leaders in, um, in federal telework and they have patent attorneys um, that are scattered all over the country and they have a certain expertise. They want to live where they want to live. And so PTO uh, accommodated that, that environment uh, very skillfully. And so, you know, this is going to be that many times over if we, if we had any kind of, kind of um, growth in telework, which it looks like we're going to have.
0: But can basically these new SD-WAN technologies and the EIS types of products otherwise, can they enable, say, end-to-end encryption and data protection from point A to point B, regardless of what the two points are? I think you
1: can. I think the managed services capabilities are there. What the, what the challenge will be is with SD WAN, one of the elements of SD WAN is that you have multiple transports into an office building, into a, 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 a district office, a field office, whatever. You won't have that so much um, with the, you know, consumer type connections. Um, And so it, 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 it sort of limits your multiple ways in and out of, of the building, your, your home, your apartment, whatever. But um, I think the, the security techniques are there and capabilities are there. I think it's the, the multi-transport kind of ish- issues, which may not be quite so um, uh, available.
0: And for agencies that have their opportunities out for EIS? And again, these seem to be kind of stalled a little bit over time here, and maybe the pandemic stalled things a little bit further. What are the steps agencies need to take to turn those into real transitions and real acquisitions to get these new services and technologies into their agencies?
1: I think the decisions that have to be made in terms of awards are um, capa- you know, sort of capacity of the, of the awardee uh, workforce, Ability to get to um, the field quickly. The the decision to maybe the 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 core network, the backbone network. Well, that's going to be a lot of heavy lifting. But we can get to a lot of sites and transform those sites and and upgrade them from the T1 world of yesteryear um, into the uh, you know 100 meg and the 200 meg or 150 meg, whatever world and improve their experience quickly, you'll get quick synergies right away. Um, Not only from a performance basis, but also a cost basis. And third, as we mentioned earlier, that price performance, you know, doubles or triples or whatever with broadband technology versus the old legacy uh, dedicated uh, access. So I think, you know, a, a, a reversal of Wow, let's get that core in place first before we touch the field. Now, that may not be the best mode when you're in catch-up um, um, transition mode right now. I, I think you've got this deadline, it's 2023 is not far away. And um, I think maybe some philosophy um, rethinking is is in play here.
0: And earlier we talked about the hybrid cloud environments that most agencies are having. And we didn't really talk about the data center and that's a locus of communications and transport for a lot of agencies and will continue to be for the foreseeable future. What does EIS, what effect does it have on data centers and how people should be thinking about modernizing their data centers?
1: Well, the, the other thing about MPLS, it was not terribly data center friendly. It was you know, not terribly internet friendly vis-a-vis what's available today. In its time, it was but it's past its time. So the quicker the transport decisions and implementations are made, the faster the, uh, um, the more um, uh, productive uh, transport will be for uh, interactive services.
0: And how ready are the vendors on EIS to jump in when that opportunity turns into a contract?
1: Um, again, it, it depends on philosophy. What, what I've seen is, uh, you know, these are not trivial decisions. These are not trivial strategies. I, I get that, but months of, okay, we've done the contract. Now let's have a a seven month period of meetings before we make any real decisions. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect, but the fact of the matter is, is, You got to rethink things and traditional ways of how you transition from one old style network to the next. So the last thing again, to make, you know, sort of painfully make this, this, this point transitioning like for like to a new vendor and then transitioning with that vendor, a second transition to go to modernization, that just makes no sense anymore.
0: All right. Well, you've got that advice out now. We've been talking with Tony Bardo, the Assistant Vice President of Government Solutions at Hughes Networks. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you. And I'm Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Hughes Networks. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights for July, sponsored by Hughes Networks on Federal News Network.